Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 8, and we will go, let's see here, up to and through verse 15, I think. And what I want to do is look at some of these verses, but in doing so, take a step back and take a closer look at a couple of corporal works of mercy. I've treated the corporal works of mercy in great length, but I do want to go back to a couple corporal works of mercy, specifically feeding the hungry and giving alms to the poor, in light of what St. Paul has to say here. And before we do that, I do just want to continue to welcome all of you out there who might be listening, tuning in by way of podcast, especially in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, uh, Chile, Brazil, uh, Western Europe. I see, I continue to see France, Portugal, Spain, England. I also see Croatia, other countries on the grid, India, uh, China, South Africa. As always, it is a great joy for me to be able to reflect with you on the beauty of the Christian and Catholic faith, on the richness of St. Paul's wisdom. As I continue to receive questions and observations from you, I continue to be encouraged and really, as I've spoken to it in the past, convicted to uh, continue to engage this subject matter, which is so essential to the spiritual life, right? Because this is what it is all about. I mean, we study the faith to evangelize and to catechize for sure, to preach and to teach for sure. But above all else, my friends, everything that we study, everything that we preach and teach should be poured back into the spiritual life. That is, be poured back into our personal relationship with God, that we might give glory to God in all that we do, that we might be all the more driven to preach more and catechize more. If the only thing that we do with our study is preach and teach, and we don't concern ourselves with the spiritual life, well, we are going to come up short. It is always about <laughs> that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and what comes out from that, right? So, with that, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. We want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God which has been shown in the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. Very important there. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Accordingly, we have urged Titus that as he had already made a beginning, he should also complete among you this gracious work. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, 
in all earnestness and in your love for us, see that you excel in this gracious work also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my advice. It is best for you now to complete what a year ago you began not only to do but to desire, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he has not. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of equality, your abundance at the present time should supply their want, so that their abundance may supply your want, that there may be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing over, and he who gathered little had no lack. All right, what's going on here? Well, before we engage those two corporal works of mercy, a few sound bites. What does Paul mean uh, in using this phrase, a wealth of liberality? Well, Paul praises the Macedonians for contributing abundantly to the Jerusalem collection despite their destitute circumstances, right? He thus challenges the Corinthians, who are comparatively wealthy, to follow the lead of their northern neighbors by giving alms in proportion to their prosperity, according to their means. Brothers and sisters, giving alms to the poor is prescribed as a work of mercy in both the Old and New Testament. Here, Paul tries to stimulate a healthy rivalry, <laughs> hoping that the generous, generous example of the Macedonians will in fact draw forth an even greater gift from the Corinthians. The standard Paul erects for almsgiving is really the, the standard tradition adopts for offerings to the church. Now, in verse 7, Paul says, you excel in everything. What's going on there? Well, the Corinthians were blessed in many ways, spiritually and economically. The collection affords them a prime opportunity to A, express thanksgiving to God for what they have done, and at the same time, to lend a helping hand to those who have not. Right? And this is where I want to uh, pick up with our reflection on uh, two corporal works of mercy. You know, I just mentioned giving alms to the poor, and uh, we will investigate that further. But first, I do want to speak to feeding the hungry. The corporal works of mercy, as they come to us in Matthew 25, respond to the basic needs of humanity as we journey together through this life. Essentially, the corporal works of mercy give us a model, we could say, for how we should treat others as they are the setting as they are the setting where we meet Christ in our everyday life. What did Jesus say? What you did to the poor, you did it unto me. So we have this call to engage those who have less, and we certainly do that by feeding the hungry. You know, my friends, a careful examination reveals so much about the state of our world today. There are so many people 
in this world today without food. In point of fact, the most recent numbers are staggering. Approximately 22,000 children die each day to poverty, and they often die quietly in some of the poorest villages on earth, far removed from the scrutiny and the conscience of the world. There are 2.2 billion children in the world, and 1 billion children live in severe poverty. We know that infectious diseases continue to blight the lives of the poor across the world. Every year, there are approximately 350 to 500 million cases of malaria with 1 million fatalities annually. Every 10 seconds, a child dies from hunger-related diseases. Simply put, my friends, the poverty of our tummies and the consequence of such poverty, death and disease, is rampant. There are so many things we can do and so many things we ought to be present to, right? Certainly, globally speaking, it would behoove us to research, identify, and look to contribute financially to organizations that serve the hungry. And, re and remember that you will not only be feeding the poor, but as many people testify to who, you will also find new friends in the process. Which, by the way, my friends, is one of the great fruits of our service of Christ. Second, if you have the means we ought to consider going on a mission trip to regions where extra hands are needed. One of the extraordinary things about this, and really all corporal works of mercy, is that when you give, what happens? You receive so much in return. Recall what we have said in the past about the nature of God's love. To give is really to receive. This is the logic of God's love. The more love you give away the more of God's love you will receive. Now we look at what we can do globally, but what about locally? Now I don't know about you, but in our own backyard here in the friendly confines of Chico, for those of you who might be tuning in by way of podcast, there certainly has been an exponential increase in homelessness and the like. For most communities, opportunities to serve the poor are never too far away. And certainly if you live in a bigger city, it's in your backyard. Uh, what can we do? Well, first and foremost, we have to consider sacrificing the gift of our time, right? <laughs> I have talked about the significance of time a great deal. The one thing that we treasure the most is what? Our time. We can give away a lot of material goods, but the one thing we struggle with the most and so far as giving it away, is time. Time. So I think we have to put this question out in front, right? When it comes to the corporal works of mercy, specifically what we are talking about now. Are we sacrificing our time? Because if we are not willing to sacrifice our time, then really I think we're, we're missing out. Because in the end, if there's anything that Jesus Christ teaches us, it is that time is a gift. So you have that question of time and, and what you're doing with your time. What about your walk and state of life? We have to discern what we might be called to do in the light of our walk and state of life. 
we might try buying a little less for ourselves and maybe a little more for those who are starving in the streets. As we know, my friends, little sacrifices go a long way. God lives in the minutia of our everyday life. I know, my friends, for some of us it is hard because we encounter the poor in our streets and we are afraid that they will use our money for their addictions. Some studies show that 90% of all homeless are addicted to either drugs or alcohol. But if what Jesus said is true, what you do to the poor, you do to me, then we have to consider something else here. If we, in fact, meet Christ in the poor, then why not take Christ out to eat? If you have the time, experience the encounter. Encounter Christ for who he is in the poor. Just a suggestion. Again, if the new evangelization is about the encounter, you've heard me talk about the new evangelization a lot, (laughs) if the new evangelization is about the encounter, this is a way that mercy, right? This is a corporal work of mercy. Mercy enters into the foray of the new evangelization. Could we not say that on some level, at some point in our life, all of us have been touched by as Well, what John Paul II would call the strength of mercy. Take, for example, the events of 911. I mean, think about this practically. Before 911, so few of us went about our day thinking about the people of New York, right? And suddenly there we were, so many of us wanting to help the people of New York. Or maybe in another example, we see or experienced experience a loved one going through something that is excruciating, and we are compelled to help them in whatever way possible. The strength of mercy, my friends, has a way of moving us. It has a way of encouraging us to leave the comfort of our pride so that we might be with another as they suffer. We are at our best when we discover, in John Paul II's words, the strength of mercy the strength of Jesus inside of us. All that being said, what about giving alms to the poor? And certainly what St. Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If there is something chief among the corporal works of mercy, it is giving alms to the poor, as it is really a chief witness to fraternal charity. While it is easy to interpret this as donate your money and be on your way. There really is a much deeper truth that we ought to consider, and that is the cost of the gift. I just mentioned the gift of time, the cost of the gift. Listen to Christ's own words in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Listen to this narrative. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, 
But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> here I'm reminded of a homily given by uh, then Pope John Paul II while here in the United States at Yankee Stadium. He said this, You must never be content to leave the poor just the crumbs from the feast. I love that. I'll read that again. You must never be content to leave the poor just the crumbs from the feast. You must take of your substance and not just of your abundance in order to help them. And you must treat them like guests at your family table. What is he talking about there, my friends? The encounter, right? St. Paul said, give even beyond your means. Huh? He was testifying to the witness of the Macedonians who gave beyond their means. So St. John Paul II says, you give from your wealth, great, but give from what you don't have. And brothers and sisters, is this not what conversion is all about? That Greek word for repentance, metanoia, a turning away from sin and at once a turn towards God. Didn't we talk about this just yesterday? In other words, my friends, our giving should lead to deeper conversion. So it is about what we give, yes, but also what we give up in the light of what we give. That is the cost of our giving, which again is the cost of our discipleship. What is it that happens to us when we enter into this great truth? Suddenly, mercy is no longer a thing we study, but a way of life as we are now gripped by the misery of others. And this new way of thinking and living is caught up in what we could call the drama of our senses. Everything we see, touch, smell, and hear passes through our newfound converted experience as we live in God's merciful love. Our whole sensory life is now caught up in the drama of conversion. So we have this call to, in the end, my friends, aspire towards a heart of simplicity. Simplicity is a beautiful expression of solidarity, a beautiful expression of mercy. You know, in an age of ramped up consumerism, where things like the brand of clothing we wear and the kind of car we drive is, is held in such high regard, the brand of simplicity, especially as it was lived in the humble town of Nazareth, is something to not only observe, but also consider. It is in simplicity where we rekindle that sense of the essential versus non-essential our sense of being in relationship with having. And I'm intentional with those words there because being and having was at the heart of uh, St. John Paul II's thought. And he has a great line here. We've been pulling from John Paul II today. I've got these list of quotes. He says this, It is not wrong to want to live better. What is wrong is a style of life, which is presumed to be better when it is directed towards having rather than being, and which wants to have more, not in order to be more, but in order to spend life as an enjoyment, as an end in itself. Oh, there it is. huh? <laughs> in these words from JP2, we are made to see the necessity to consider all in light of other, and how our poverty enriches others. 
Essentially, John Paul II wants us to understand that if we are going to become the best version of who God is calling us to be, then we have to let go of the have and entrust ourselves to God's providential care. You know, as we examine what is essential versus what is non-essential, we enter into this kind of zone of need versus want. You've heard me talk about this before, huh? This becomes an important piece of discernment for every Christian aspiring for holiness in the daily decisions of life, because wants in the temporal world does not always correlate with our need for Christ. Once we realize our need for Christ, there's a shift in perspective from need to want, right? Our need for Christ now becomes our want to do the will of the Father. So in this corporal work of mercy, of giving alms to the poor, we are made to listen attentively to Jesus as he preaches to us in the Sermon on the Mount about the woes of anxiety. We are all familiar with that most famous sermon where he speaks to us about not to be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In that sermon, we are reminded how just as his care for the lilies of the field are outmatched by his provision of clothing for us, so the garments we receive in so many ways, my friends, prefigure God's desire to clothe us with glory and immortality in heaven. As we talk about this, I am reminded how giving arises out of a heart of what? Gratitude. Gratitude. Because we are so grateful for what we have received, we want to return the favor, right? What is gratitude? Gratitude is, in its truest definition, the release of loveliness, or maybe even better translated, the release of graciousness. Gratitude, the Greek root there is charis, grace, graciousness. To remember what someone has done for you in an act of kindness becomes not only a strength in our time of need, but also a launching point <laughs> to desire to give back, huh? No, there is something about the nature of gratitude. Gratitude must always be expressed to another person, right? We recognize what someone has done for us, so our appreciation for that person culminates in an act of gratitude, a release of loveliness, a release of grace. There is something so fascinating about the virtue of gratitude. It would appear to be, how we could say, the least costliest of all the virtues. I mean, think about it critically. How much energy does it really take to say thank you, right? <laughs> and yet, are we not more apt to grumble about the thorns on the rose than to, than to be grateful for its bloom and its sweet fragrance? There is a great caveat story <laughs> that comes to us from a Jewish legend, that when God finished creation, he asked the angels what they thought of it. One of them replied that the world is so vast and so perfect that the only thing that could possibly be owed to God is gratitude. Gratitude. I love that. Brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for yourself he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This, I believe, distills the spirituality of what we have talked about this evening. The life of Jesus Christ is a lesson in generosity. Though infinitely perfect and self-sufficient in his divinity, he became man in the form of a servant to save us from sin and at the same time to enrich us with divine life. The more we tend to these two particular corporal works of mercy, the more we tend to Jesus Christ. In his poverty, as he abides in the poor, yes, but at the same time, in his wealth, as he awaits to fill us up with more of his gratuity, with more of his graciousness, his loveliness, his very life. This is the great paradox of our faith. We encounter the poor so as to become rich, mindful that Christ himself became poor, that we might become rich. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, this gift of time that you have given to us to reflect into the beauty of your word, and this evening, the challenge before us to embrace each and every one that you put before us, and at the same time, to go out of our way, within our means, within our state of life, yes, but still yet go out of our way to see what more we can do. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.